final lesson of overflow for 2020. It's been enjoyable to uh, do this monthly series with you, even with its pausing hiccups and <laughs> things that we've had for this year. Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about how we can overflow as Christ has pictured that for us. Our key text had been from John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, where here is Jesus standing up and saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to him and drink. This picture of you come to Christ to be satisfied. But then he continues and that satisfaction does not terminate on us, but then to say whoever believes in him, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters that not only are we satisfied in Christ, but then what flows out of our hearts to others. And every month I've asked, so what flows out of you? If people were to think about answering that question about you, what flows out of you? What is the overflow of your heart? Over this year, we have talked about overflowing in worship, in prayer, overflowing in love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, thankfulness, and contentment. And you might be surprised, well, why are we going to do overflow and contentment again when you just said we already did overflowing in contentment? And, and it's this, that contentment comes at two directions. Often when we talk about contentment, we are talking about contentment with stuff. I will be content with the things that I have and not going outside of ourselves, but, but joyful and, and resting in the things that we presently have. But there is another aspect of contentment that we should not forget about and I think is critically important especially as we come to this time of year, is that we would overflow in contentment regarding our circumstances. Now, sometimes we talk about contentment only in possessions, but there needs to also be a contentment in our situation, our circumstances of life. And I think it is interesting to think about that idea because we live in a culture and a time that not only tells us not to be satisfied with our situation, but really does everything within its power to make you discontent, right? Just turn on social media and everybody has it better than you, right? Their life is better than your life. They are happier than you. Their circumstances are better than yours. Everybody else is clearly very happy and I am the only sad one. I'm the only one going through hard times. We, we live in that kind of culture where everything is portrayed as everybody else is doing great and that only feeds our discontentment. So what I want to look at for our final lesson for overflow, we talk about overflowing with contentment in regards to our circumstances or being satisfied with the goodness of God. How can we be content in any circumstance we are in, no matter what happens in life, no matter the situation, 
Can we be content in that area? And so that's what we will look at. And this is going to build a little bit upon what we did last Sunday morning and last Sunday night. And you'll see that, though, if you were not here for that, you are not missing out and you'll be just fine as we traverse forward in that. As was just read for us, I, I want our key text to be 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In those first six verses, you have the Apostle Paul talking about uh, if we need to boast, he would certainly have something to boast about. The Corinthians are all about boasting and putting themselves forward. And Paul says, you know, if we wanted to boil down to that kind of foolishness, I could certainly do that. I know of a guy who was caught up into the third heaven and heard amazing things that I can't begin to reveal what's interesting as he starts talking and start understanding that wait he's not talking about some guy he's talking about himself and what he has experienced and yet those first six verses are not the point it is fascinating that you would want more about hey Paul well, what was that like and being caught up into paradise and the things that were said and what you were told and what you observed and heard and that's not what Paul's concerned about What Paul is concerned about is truly the concept of contentment. Because you will notice what Paul says about all that in verse 7. Notice the conclusion that he starts drawing in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And notice he says, I I saw great things, surpassing greatness of this revelation. And what he says is that in the process of, of, of enjoying all that, God allowed something in his life. God gave him something. He gives it the phrase, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. I think that is an interesting way to think about what Paul is experiencing and the difficulties that he's going through. He describes it as simply a thorn in the flesh. That is what his difficulty could be summed up as. I'd like for you to think about that picture for a minute. Have you ever had a thorn in your flesh? I mean, like really a thorn in your flesh. That's a very painful thing. To use that kind of imagery immediately evokes severe pain. In my front yard, we have this tree that really annoys me that when I try to hang Christmas lights, it always stabs me over and over and over and over again. It is a small thorn in the flesh. It's not pleasant. I want to rip the tree out every single year. It drives me nuts. That's painful. That's the picture. Paul is saying, I I have seen great things and yet I'm going through something terribly painful. This thorn in the flesh, it's so difficult, it's so painful that you will notice in verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, I've been pleading with God about it. I have been asking God that he would remove that. Three times I implored God. Three times I've been pleading with him that he would remove this thorn from my flesh. And I'd like for you to think about this for a minute. 
Surely God would answer the apostles Paul's prayer with a yes, right? You know, here is his beloved apostle. And yet Paul says that God said no. Repeatedly, God said no. I think that's interesting to consider. We talked a little bit about that last week, and I want you to see it from this perspective again. That here is the Apostle Paul. He's got a thorn in the flesh. He's got a messenger of Satan afflicting him. It's been allowed to him by God. And he has been pleading to God that God would surely say yes and remove this affliction, remove this difficulty, whatever it is that is troubling him and causing him pain. And every time that the Apostle Paul is pleading with God that he would remove it, God says, no, no. So what is Paul going to do with that? What's Paul going to do? God keeps saying no to him. God's not answering his prayer the way that he wants. What is going to be Paul's response to this? How is Paul going to move forward when clearly it is not a pleasant time in his life? He's going through hardships and difficulties and pains and problems. He even gives that listing there in verse 10. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. He's going through a lot right now. It doesn't sound pleasant. It doesn't sound comfortable. It doesn't sound easy. Paul, what are you going to do in this time of difficulty? How are you going to look at God? And how are you going to look at yourself? And how are you going to be content? Notice what the Apostle Paul reveals in verse 9. Here is what he told me. I'm pleading with the Lord about this three times that it should leave me. Verse 9, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want to spend a few minutes just talking about the two parts of that answer that God gives to Paul and how Paul then responds with that answer. First, think about what God tells Paul here. Paul is saying, you got to get rid of this. And God's answer begins very simply. My grace is sufficient. Or to put that another way, God's given you all you need for this moment. God has given you all that you need for this circumstance. My grace is sufficient. You have enough. You have all that you need. God is here and telling Paul, you're good. You don't need me to remove that thorn. My grace is sufficient. You're fine. You have all that you need for this moment. And I think that is such an important thing to think about that God would be saying, whatever that pain is, whatever that difficulty is, whatever that thorn in the flesh is, you have all that you need. Now, I suppose if we had a chance to interview Paul, did he feel that way? He feel like, oh, yeah, I've got everything I need. I'm doing it. Of course not. If he did, why would he be pleading three times to the Lord to remove it? But God is saying, you have what you need. My grace is sufficient for you. What I have for you is enough. And I think it is important that we understand that and we hear that. 
Whatever our circumstance is, whatever the difficulty is, whatever the hardship, whatever we are suffering or we are enduring, God's grace is enough. You have what you need. You have what you need with God to get through this moment, to get through this season, and to get through the difficulty. To put that another way, here's God saying, you don't need the thorn removed. Now I'd say, I need that thorn removed. (laughs) I can't make it another day unless you get rid of that. I wonder if that's what Paul was saying. I can't keep going on with these difficulties, with all the suffering, with this messenger of Satan that's afflicting me. And God is saying, yes, you can. You have enough. You have all that you need. You can get through this. And I think that is such a picture of hope for us is that we would hear these words in our discomfort, in our difficulties, in our times of being discontent, that we would hear God essentially saying, His grace is enough. And notice the rest of the sentence in verse 9. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Why don't you just kind of let that rest on your mind a moment. My power, here's God's power, is made perfect in weakness. What does he mean by that? What is God trying to tell Paul when he says that? What is the big message to Paul to say, hey, you know what? My grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in weakness. I think one of the big pictures that we are getting here from from God as he communicates this to the Apostle Paul is that it is God's power that becomes more readily seen in our difficulties, in our hardships. When things get tough, that's when we are able to see God at work. It is our difficulties that help us see God's power. It's as if God is telling Paul, you need me to say no to this. That's the answer that's being given. It's a no answer. Why? My grace is sufficient for you. You have what you need. And not only do you have what you need, but that you would understand that you would see my power all the more in your time of weakness and in your time of difficulty. In fact, I think it would be fair to say that essentially God is putting up a sign in our hardships and in our difficulties and saying to us, God's at work. So I think one of the hard parts about trials is the hard part about suffering and it's the hard part about pain is that God is using this to accomplish purposes. That God is at work transforming us, changing us, moving us, moving us to what we are supposed to be. In fact, I hope that you notice that the Apostle Paul grasped that. Look back at verse 7 and notice that was the first conclusion he was drawing. Notice if we put all that together, verse 7, to keep me from being conceited or exalting myself or arrogant, Because of all of these revelations, this surpassing greatness of these experiences that the Apostle Paul has enjoyed, this was given to him. 
You see Paul putting that together? I've been pleading to God to remove it. God keeps saying no. Why is God not getting rid of these thorns? Why is God not removing this messenger of Satan? He draws a conclusion in verse 7. God's at work. God's doing something. He's keeping me from becoming arrogant. He's keeping me from boasting. He's keeping me from elevating myself in a way that I shouldn't. And that's why I have this. Even though I've been begging for God to get rid of it, God keeps saying no. Essentially, can I say, God's telling Paul, you need this. God is telling Paul, you need this. I'm not going to take it away from you. You need this. God is at work in Paul's life to keep him from being conceited. To keep him from doing something he should not do. He's transforming Paul all the more. Is that not amazing? Talk about a side point right there. You know, we think of the apostles as holy, sanctified, perfect, and amazing. And and here's God going, no, no, I'm still working on Paul. Still working on Paul. With all these visions and, and, and experiences, thorn in the flesh given to Paul. Well, why does Paul need that? To keep him from boasting. God's working on him still. Even though Paul doesn't want this, God knows he needs this. That's the big first conclusion he's drawing. Is he is understanding that God is at work in his life. That God is doing something, accomplishing something, and that's why God has said no and put him in this circumstance. He needs this. And notice what that means for the Apostle Paul when you look at verse, when you look at the rest of verse 9. The rest of verse 9. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. For the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That might be one of the most counterintuitive declarations you could read. Paul says, God said no. I've got a thorn in the flesh. It hurts. It's painful. I'm going through this. God says I need it. He won't take it away from me. So what am I going to do with the circumstance? Paul says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be angry at God. I'm sick and tired of God not answering my prayers and doing things the way that I want. I mean, I sacrifice my life for Christ. I go around everywhere doing what he wants. The least he can do is get a thorn out of me. Well, no, no. What his perspective is, then I will boast in my weaknesses. I'll tell everybody about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power can rest in me. I love this statement here as it it unfolds in verse 10. So I take pleasure in, some translations, I am content in, some translations, I delight in. That word, Greek word under there means all of those. So just plug all of those in. And please ask yourself if you would ever say this. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, difficulties, and persecutions. 
I'm content in insults, weaknesses, difficulties, and persecutions. I delight in insults and in weaknesses and in hardships and difficulties and persecutions. I'm content. <laughs> that's, that's when I'm discontent. Uh, taking delight in that, taking pleasure in that, well contented in having insults and hardships and difficulties. The Apostle Paul must be crazy. What a statement. I'm begging God to change my circumstances. He says no, and so I'm going to be content in it. Wow. Wow. What can we understand from this response? Quite a few things. To think about that declaration. What's probably the most natural human response to weaknesses, insults, hardships, suffering, pain, difficulty? Especially if it were to be for righteousness sake. I'm trying to do what's right. Trying to obey God here. It's easy to be angry. Easy to be upset. Easy to say, this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening to me. He's taking pleasure in the knowledge that God is at work in him. I think that's important. He knows that God is at work. That's what he's expressing back in verse 7. God is doing something. And so all the more he says that in verse 9, Therefore I will boast more gladly, not of my strengths, but of my weaknesses. What I'm going through. I'll I'll boast about the hardships. Why? Why? This this statement, this idea that God, the power of Christ may, may rest on me. Or how about the end of verse 10? For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's another counterintuitive declaration. That makes no sense, Paul. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. No, when you're weak is when you're weak. And when you're strong is when you're strong. That doesn't make any sense. Paul, how can you say, I'm going to just take joy in this. I'm going to be content in this because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What are you trying to tell us? I think a couple of things is what he's trying to tell us. Number one, this contentment in circumstances, this accepting where we are at certainly comes when we just see God working through the circumstance. When we study the book of Job, one of the things that's always our advantage and Job's disadvantage that we always talk about is we all got chapters 1 and 2 that he didn't get. (laughs) You know? If he had only gotten those first two chapters, it would have been so much easier. Oh, Satan went up there and challenged God and said that people only serve God because of the good things that he does. And if I had only known that, we don't get to see all that. We don't get the behind the scenes. What's the battle going on in the spiritual realm and why these things are taking place? But Paul is just simply resting on the knowledge that God is at work. He said no for a reason. He's not removing my thorn in the flesh and he's accomplishing something. This hurts to say, and I'm having to put on the screen, 
And I, I feel the pain as the words come on the screen. But that's what Paul said. If, if God says no, then you need the answer to be no. And that hurts a lot. That hurts a lot. But that's what Paul was saying. I've been asking God, and God keeps saying no. And so I understand that I need him to say no. Is that not part of the faith that we wish our children had in us as parents? that they would understand that the reason why we said no is because we needed to say no. There's a reason. It's for their good. So if God says no, then the answer for us is that it needs to be no. And that's what Paul is grasping right here. I don't know if God told him that he was being conceited or he did that on his own and understood that and got there. He goes, the reason why he's saying no is because I need this. But he's teaching the Corinthians something. He's teaching us something. We need those no's. God is at work in our lives. He's accomplishing things and changing things in us. And that is then why we can be content. Is, is no matter how hard it is, hardships, insults, persecution, difficulty, suffering, he gave all, the whole list there in verse 10. Whatever it is, I can be content because I know I need this difficulty. Now, I don't want this difficulty, and I don't think I need this difficulty. But apparently I need this difficulty. That's what Paul's saying. Paul didn't think he needed it. He's trying to get God to remove it. <laughs> and he finally rests and goes, I guess I need it. I guess I need it. I need this difficulty. That's the first step in this contentment process. How can we be content in our circumstance? How is Paul content? And what he's going through is that we would rest in the knowledge, we need this. I need this. God has said no, so I must need this. I must need to walk through this. And I'm sure that there are plenty of life circumstances that you can think of where you have asked God to take your life a different direction, to reverse the suffering, to flip the difficulties, that it would not be this road that you're going to go down. And God has said no. You know, my life, God has said no for me for 15 years in one aspect. You just be content in your circumstance and say, I need this. Apparently, I need this. God's at work. And I'm going to be content in that. Number two, so interesting is that statement at the end of verse 10, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Contentment will overflow from us in any circumstance. 
When we understand that we become strong through the weakness. Again, counterintuitive. That we become strong in the weakness. How can Paul say that he is content in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions? How can he say that it doesn't make sense? How is it that it would be possible that we can be strong through the weakness? I'll offer you a few ideas to this. First of all, have you noticed that it is only through our weaknesses that we truly rely on God? When things are going good, I don't rely on God. One of the ways that we become content in our circumstance and that we become strong through our weaknesses and our hardships is because we must rely upon God. We can't rely on ourselves anymore. It's not working. We tried. It's not working. I've tried to fix it. It's not working. And I tried to rely on other people, and it's not working. And I've relied on all of my friends or all the experts or all the doctors or all the smart people or whoever it is that you think is going to be your solution, and they're not your solution. What happens in weakness It causes you to rely on God, to stop relying on self, stop relying on our wisdom, stop relying on our abilities, stop relying on other people and to truly look to God for help. If this year has taught us anything and in two weeks we're going to do a what has this year taught us lesson. Because nothing starts 2021 like thinking about 2020. But if anything we've hopefully learned from this, suffering reminds us you and I are not in control. And so in my weakness, I can be strong because God is in control. I will rely upon him. I'm not going to rely upon myself. Only God is the solution. Only he can fix this in weaknesses we can be strong because we rely upon god number two it causes us to stop resting on present circumstances Uh, i really think this is important when things go well we start putting our hope in this world but when things go well we just put our hope here It's all about here and all about our riches and all about our jobs and all about our stuff and all about our families and all about our country and all about all of these wonderful things that they're all blessings. But we lose sight of what's important. We we, we start relying and resting on the present circumstance. Suffering and difficulties cause us to be strong because it helps us move our hope away from this world and away from possessions and away from wealth and away from people and away from stuff and everything else and that we would put our hope in God. To put it this way, our hope can't be here because here's not going well. You see, when here's going well, I put my hope here. But when here's not going well, I don't want my hope here because here's not going well. This can't be it. Here stinks. (laughs) I don't want here. 
It's only when things go bad in the weaknesses and the difficulties that I go, I got to look beyond here. Here's no good. Here is empty. Here hurts. Here doesn't give me what I'm looking for. Here doesn't have satisfaction. I got to look beyond here. But when things are good, we look here. Right here, right now. Things are great. It's all about here. We forget God. To be content in our weaknesses, to be content in our circumstances, we would look at the opportunity and be strong in the weakness because we realize this isn't supposed to be all that there is. This isn't heaven. And God made this place so that we wouldn't want to stay here and desire this life. Book of Ecclesiastes. God made this to be empty and vain and futile for a reason. So that we would stop trying to find our satisfaction in this life. But when things are good, that's what we do. When things are bad, that's when we stop. And we look beyond ourselves. And look, we, we look beyond here. And finally, we can be strong in our weaknesses because God has us in the circumstance we are in. That one hurts too, if you think about it long enough. Whatever season of life you're walking through and whatever the difficulty is, no matter how hard it is, God has you here. That's how you can be content is knowing that God has you here. One of our favorite Psalms says that. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 starts off with a shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. And ah, we love the words and it's so beautiful. (laughs) And and you, you have to think about what he says in the middle there. Your shepherd is leading you into the deepest, darkest of valleys. He's taking you into the depths. But I will not fear. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Now the Psalm 23 is not, the Lord is my shepherd and it is always cake, unicorns, and ice cream. And it's always wonderful. You all should have a shepherd like that. It's just great. We're always in green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley shadow of death. God's taking you through a valley right now. I could be content. I will not fear. He's with me. Paul is expressing that, that God has me in the circumstance. That's what he's observing back in verse 7. I need this. He's got me here for a reason. God is with me in this circumstance. And God does that all the time. God tried to teach that to Israel. Look at what what God through Moses is telling Israel. Here's Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Now remember, they've already passed through the wilderness when we're in Deuteronomy, right? We're already done. We we made it. We're we're there. We're we're, we're receiving the law. and, And Moses is about to die. And it's his final words as they're on the brink of going into the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan. Victory is theirs. Think about what Moses says. 
And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you'd keep His commandments or not. Hear this. He humbled you and let you hunger. It's like, remember that? You know, God could have made it rain food every single day. It didn't start that way. They were going a long time without food. They would go days without water. Nearly 30 days without food. Long time. Notice what Moses says. Moses doesn't say, you know, that was really rough out there. Sure wish it had rained and there had been some food along the way. God lets you hunger. God puts you in the circumstance. And fed you with manna that you did not know, nor that your fathers knew that he might make you know something. What was Moses saying? God was teaching you. God let you hunger to teach you. Israel, you can be content in the circumstance because God led you through the wilderness. He let you hunger and he was teaching you something. Is that not what we've just been talking about the whole time? Should have just skipped 2 Corinthians 12 and went right here. Here it is. Paul has the same conclusion that Moses draws about the circumstance. A few verses later, he talks about God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you. But please note the ending there. To do good... To do you good in the end. God took Israel through the wilderness to do them good in the end. They needed that. They needed the difficulty. They needed the hardship. God was at work in the circumstance. That God saying no or putting them in the hardship... It's for their good. It's what they needed to do good to them in the end. And so in conclusion, we can overflow with contentment in any circumstance because we see that God has us in this wilderness right now. When you're in that season of life and you're in the wilderness, God's got you in the wilderness to teach you and transform you. He's working on you. He's changing you. Bring in James 1 into your mind. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And we go, no. <laughs> That's not good. No, it is. It is. You can be content, please, in any circumstance. Because we know that God has us here in the wilderness to teach us and to transform us so that we would see in our weakness more clearly His power, so that we would rely upon Him to humble us 
to see his power and to rest our lives on him because it's only through these difficulties that we move our eyes away from the world and and back on to God. In short, you can be content because God has you here. When God says no, God has you here. And what you're walking through right now, God has you walking through right now. And we simply have a choice. Will we complain about the circumstance, be angry at God about the circumstance, or be content, like Paul says, take pleasure in the knowledge that God is walking you through the wilderness right now because you need it to do you good. Because ultimately, His purpose is not your comfort now, but your salvation in the end. Let's pray to God. Our Heavenly Father, these messages, Lord, are so hard. So hard. Lord, I pray that you would give us a measure of contentment in our circumstances. Lord, we live in a time that that tells us not to be content where we are, not to be content with our circumstances and situation. Lord, we pray for the strength to resist that and deepen our faith to trust you in whatever we walk through in this life. God, give us the strength and the faith that no matter the darkest valley and no matter the greatness of the obstacle, that we will not fear, that we will see you in the storm, and that we will continue to put our trust in you. Help us to do this, Lord, and, and Lord, forgive us for failing at this. Forgive us for being discontent in our circumstances for being unhappy with where you have us. We pray for that forgiveness and we pray that we would have far greater strength in the trials that we may be facing now and the trials that lie ahead. We would follow you faithfully and trust you completely. That we will see you as our shepherd that leads us safely through. And Lord, we know we need teaching. We need transformation. Our lives are not what you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to see the changes we need to make. Mold us, Lord, and make us into what you desire us to be. Transform us so that we can be more in the image of you and follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this song in just a moment. If we can help you in any way, come to the Lord to respond to his graciousness, that he is doing what he's doing for your help and for your good. We want to help you in any way we can. Please respond to that invitation. Let us know if you're wanting. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?